It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for a Tuesday edition of our podcast. Today's an incredible treat for me. I have known this couple for 40 years. I can actually tell you when I met them for the first time. I went home with a friend my freshman year at Baylor uh, named Benjamin Blake Young. He lived in Houston. And up comes his brother with what would have either been his girlfriend or wife at the time regardless i didn't believe that they were a couple i didn't i just thought she could like do better i thought (laughs) there's no way in the world that they are a couple but i was wrong they actually have been a couple for what 40 years now they both pastor at fellowship outside of dallas i guess i'm putting that correctly to me it's outside of dallas to them it might be in dallas but It is, they are, Ed, Pastor Ed and Pastor Lisa Young. And I want to talk to them about a lot of things. And then at some point, we are going to pivot. To me, it is uh, the saddest thing that could ever happen in life. And unfortunately, people live through it, including this beautiful couple. And they have a book called A Path Through Pain, that helps people navigate what to me would be the worst thing in life. But I don't want to necessarily start there. Uh, We'll wind up there. But we're going to start by saying welcome. And Ed and Lisa, how wrong am I on the first time we met? I think Ben and I were shooting basketball, and y'all walked up. That's right. Oh, you're definitely – I'm married so far over my head. It's not even close. People to this day are like, how in the world did this happen? I don't agree with that. I think I I married up. Oh, oh you're that sweet. would be the That's minority. So sweet. That would be the minority view, Lisa. There's a, oh. there, there's a majority view and a <laughs> minority right. view. Well, thank you, Trey. I yes, appreciate Trey. that. Trey. We're happy to be here, though. Thank you for having us. Yes, we us. are. Trey Gowdy, a legend. All right. Here's what I need to know. I, I need to know the secrets to a what, 40-plus year relationship? I don't think you've been married that long. How, how long have y'all yes. been married? 42. 42, 42 but you mm-hmm. dating and all of that combined is is what? how long? 48. 48 years. We started and, dating when we were freshmen in high school. I'm a little older than Ed. I'm three months older, so I'm a cougar for three months. And then <laughs> we got married when we were 21. So... A long time. I can't believe it. A lot, and, a lot of seasons. Yeah, and you know, Trey, we we have the opportunity, and I never thought this would happen. You don't think it, you know, when you're growing and developing and everything. But we've had a lot of opportunities to talk about relationships, marriage, and now we've written on marriage and relationships, and and uh, it is marriage, and we say this is not the easiest thing. It can become though. The greatest thing, if you're willing to work, and we call it the MWE, 
the marital work ethic. So I would say just my knee-jerk reaction, boom, would be you have to prioritize and work on it. That's right. And we've tried to do that. Yeah. Well, just based on my interactions, not with you this morning, we've been chatting for about 30 minutes before we started, but every (laughs) other time I've been around you, y'all still seem for the most part to like one another. (laughs) Well, today we do. We have our moments, Trey. (laughs) And you know, you know, Trey, what was so crazy about it? I want Lisa to talk about this uh, because she can answer so much better. But when we were writing this, this current book, as we'll talk about later called a path through pain it's about our journey with losing a child but it's also about pain in general because we know as you do so many people who are walking through pain in fact everybody has has some sort of a painful situation in their life that they that they are processing but anyway when when we were beginning to write this book and and it sounds like we're really important. Of course, we're not. But our book agent, hey, like that, my agent. I have to throw that in. No, she was talking to Lisa about pain, and and Lisa, I, I thought it was, it was so. I just I had read an article, and I've I had seen this before many years ago, but it just re-entered my uh, view at this time about the things that couples go through that increase their propensity for divorce. And some of them are getting married young. They say people, you know, you're young and dumb. Well, there's a flip side to that, too. But one of them is getting married young. Another is having starting a new job, uh, moving, uh, having a, a child with special needs or health problems, having multiples, which would be, you know, twins, triplets, quadruplets, uh, having a child or a spouse who struggles with addiction. And so we had, I guess, and then also the loss of a child. We had gone through seven of the ten. And I'm looking at at Ed going, wow, pat ourselves on the back. But it really, I think um, for us, love, and some people disagree with this, but love is an emotion. It's a feeling. And obviously, we fell in love. We were attracted to one another. Mm -hmm in our early high school years and that developed and that love continues to grow, but all of those things can knock you down. And if you're not committed to the relationship, I'm talking like a chain link commitment that you have to literally work so hard to break, then, you know, you will fall apart, but yeah, you can't. Congratulations to us. We've gone through it. And and you can't, you know, it's, it's so sexy these days to say, go with your heart, you know, trust your feelings well feelings are important obviously our heart is important but we need to trust god with our heart god is the god of commitment and and we commit to one another and then the feelings follow but the feelings are kind of like the tides as far as feelings in relationships especially marriage you got high, you have high tide low tide and slack tide so 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 commitment which is true love is just the ability, the God-given ability to pledge yourself to a position no matter what the cost. Then when you make that decision, the feelings will follow. And the Bible says, commit your way to the Lord and he will do it. So God was saying, just do it long before Phil Knight at Nike came up with that. And you're an attorney. Maybe we have a lawsuit 
on our hands. Oh, I think that I think the guy that owns a cattle on a thousand hills probably doesn't need <laughs> Phil Knight's money, but I could be wrong about that. I had a pastoral counselor one time that described it. I wasn't even married at the time. I don't know why I remember this, but he we have these utility poles in South Carolina and there's a metal guide wire that kind of holds them up. And he said, I want you to think of marriage as that guide wire metal guide wire surrounded by beautiful flowers. There are times that it is the beauty and the emotion and the feeling that keeps you there, but it is always that not always gorgeous wire that holds you to it. I don't remember like what my wife asked me to do yesterday, but I do remember that from like 45 years ago. Let me ask you that y'all, y'all known each other so long. Lisa, I'm going to ask you this. Ed has to be not the same person that you went to high school with. I mean, he's he's changed. He's become a minister. He's become a father. He's I mean, they're like four or five different iterations. I would think that you had to make like you had to like all of those iterations. Yes, he has changed. But so have I. I mean, I I would hope that all of us are progressing and getting a, becoming a better version of ourselves. But I would say Ed has become a better version of himself that I fell in love with when we were in high school. And actually, Trey, he told me when we were sophomores in high school, we had known each other for about three months. Yeah, I was going to say six months, but maybe three. It was three months. I remember because I remember saying three months. And I, I and, and he told me he was going to marry me. Wow. wow. And I told him that I was going to be a flight attendant and I wanted to see the world. That was her response. That right? was my response because I was scared. Well, I would have thought she would have called the cops if you had said that. <laughs> that would have been what I thought her response well, was. That might have been a possibility. Yeah. But I have seen Ed grow. Let me go back to that, because when we were in college, I told him, I said, you know, you remember when you told me you wanted to marry me? And I said, I want to be a flight attendant fly around the world. I don't want to do that anymore. So whenever you're ready, I'm ready. We can just go (laughs) ahead. So I did come back to that. But I see how Ed has grown and matured in life, in faith, in so many different things. And even like Ed is very. ADD or ADHD. They didn't even have a diagnosis for it when he was a kid. You know, he they just thought he was very active and liked to disrupt class. But I I see this guy who had trouble concentrating and focusing on schoolwork. And we actually went to college together. So we were in classes together. And I saw this firsthand. But now I see a guy who on Sundays, after studying all week for a message, and it's like delivering a term paper every weekend, I see him go back to his desk, go back to the notes, re revisit to make sure it's been delivered well, and then study it to make sure that he goes forward better than he was today or that day. And then he begins studying for the next week. And I'm like, who is this person? Who is this guy? But it's just, I think the maturation process and seeing his commitment to doing what he he's doing. And I saw that in sports when we were in high school. I mean, he concentrated on that thing, which he loved so much, which was basketball, developed the skill, worked at the skill. And when you work hard, it shows. And thankfully, he had the talent to go with it and play basketball at Florida State and all that. And I threw that in because he played D1 basketball. Did you Yeah, I did this most oh, of my yeah. career, though, Trey. I sat. <laughs> but I have well, a special, Trey, 
I have a special photograph for you. The next time you come to Fellowship Church and speak, it's about basketball. I think you'll like it. I kind of think it was hanging Wait, did when you see that? The big... there. The picture yeah, it was up there. In his uniform, and Ed said that he was only hanging that picture in his office of him totally ripped playing basketball at Florida State. He was only hanging it up temporarily so that his brother could see it and just kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. laugh. It's still hanging today, Trey. I can't believe it's still up there, Trey. But anyway, I'm guessing that would be Brother Ben and not Brother Cliff. Would that you be know, right? Brother Ben, you know that. Brother but Ben. Trey, Going back to what Lisa said, too, as far as the development of of people in marriage, I obviously have glaring weaknesses. One would be I'm not the most organized person out there. I um, don't always think as strategically as I should. I would be kind of an over-talker. Okay. What I've learned from Lisa is Lisa is naturally an introvert, and I've learned not always just to talk and talk and overshare and overtalk and overtalk. I've also learned, too, the importance of order from her. And Lisa has uncommon common sense. Common sense is uncommon. People say common sense. No, that's uncommon. She has as much as I've ever seen. So I would say, honey, both of us have learned from one another and that's been part of our development obviously it's like a giant triangle god at the top lisa and i on either side and as we grow closer to him just supernaturally he brings us closer to one another yes and i i have gotten out of my shell more i have learned the beauty of relational risks like introducing myself to people if i were to go into a room filled with people my natural tendency would be to find a spot on the edge and watch people. That's where I'm most comfortable. But that's not really engaging and getting to know people. And And we're relational creatures. And for us in ministry, God gives us opportunities to talk to people and to meet people where they are and to get to know them because they need to know the God that we know. And if I'm a if I'm a wallflower, I'm not doing my part in engaging. So I've learned a lot from it. And, and, and we can learn from everybody. Yeah. You never meet and Trey, you're so brilliant at this. You never meet someone you can't learn from. So every day we need to say, God, okay, I'm gonna meet a lot of different people wherever they are. And I wanna receive what they give me. And I want also as you lead me to give them maybe maybe what they need. And you do that by the conversational cadence of talking and listening, of asking questions, and then, you know, probing. And that's why, again, we wrote this book, A Path Through Pain. You talk to anybody, Trey, after about two questions, they're going to start revealing to you the pain in their lives. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Lisa, you are what we describe as a forced extrovert. You have to force yourself to do it. (laughs) A lot of people would be surprised because you are so good at it. Um, Tim Scott is a forced extrovert 
extrovert. He is an oh, introvert. Really? Interesting. My wife, who is maybe the most effervescent person I have ever been around in my life, she lights up a room. And everyone would tell you that she is an extrovert, except she is not. She is an introvert, but she has to make herself mm -hmm. do it. I refuse to make myself do it. I, my, <laughs> I'm going to get a tattoo that says silence is not the enemy. That is what, really Trey. Oh, my goal. I just flew. Terry has to travel with me now because of my a vertigo issue. But we flew to Las Vegas and back and we didn't sit together. She said, you know, tell me about your seatmate. I said, well, maybe we didn't exchange a word. I mean, I, nothing was said for four and a half hours there. Nothing was said on the return flight. She could write a biography of the person <laughs> she sat beside. Literally, she could, she could tell you everything. And I'm sitting there thinking, I just kind of stay in my shell. I'm not as good at forcing it. But y'all raise a good point. Ed, you are so outgoing and communicative. It would be exhausting, Lisa, I would think, oh, after a is, while. It is very exhausting. And that's where communication in marriage is so key, because I I would say that Ed probably did not realize the degree of my, would it be introverted? Introversion. Introversion, introversion, whatever. Until I said, this exhausts me. This absolutely exhausts yes. me. And I sometimes to, you exhaust me. That's okay. Just hear it to me. She says oh, sometimes. I you're telling me I exhaust no, you. I'm no, like, no, no. oh, you, no say, way. I've just had too much Ed. Oh, Give I have said space. this. <laughs> I, I, I thrive on alone time. And he used to go on these fishing trips. And he thought that I was panicked. And I was sad that, that I was going to be left home with little kids or whatever. And you wanted the boat to get stuck out on the lake. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the kids were a lot of responsibility, but they went to bed at eight o'clock and then it was like, <laughs> but I, I totally understand that, that energy that he gets from being around a lot of people. He is understanding now the energy that I get yes. having alone time. It's replenishing to me. But I think if you don't communicate those things, so often the hardest uh, issues in marriage are just the fact that we're assuming that they know how we feel. Our spouse knows how we feel. And truly experiencing pain like we have experienced in the past two and a half years, and I know we keep referencing that, but... There has been a refinement in our marriage yep. that has brought our communication skills higher because of the deep need to make sure that each of us knows where we are at the moment, how we're feeling at the moment. And so I've, I've definitely learned to communicate better. The book is a path through pain, and I wanted us to laugh and smile before I cry, because if you... And y'all know this before Congress, I, I was in a courtroom for almost two decades surrounded by death and, and it, it, as a homicide prosecutor, primarily. And if you were to ask me, what is the very worst thing that can possibly happen to you? I would say it would be to bury a child. Yes, that's number one. I mean, I don't want to bury a parent. I don't want to bury a sibling. I don't want to bury a spouse. But you ask me what's number one. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned putting children to bed. 
Lisa, y'all had a child that beat you to heaven. Mm-hmm. And and that, you know, I, I sit here and look at y'all and y'all have so much joy and so much happiness. Most couples, I would guess, don't survive that. The numbers are staggering. They, they don't are. survive that. The, and we totally understand that. Yes. The amount of anxiety, depression uh, that follows the death of a child, the loss of a child um, is staggering. It's interesting. I've read that the statistic for divorce following the death of a child is just 16 percent. It used to be 60 percent. How it dropped to 16 percent, I don't know. I I don't trust that number. I don't trust the polls. Because even... Our therapist, which I'm mentioning therapy, we are pastors and we go to therapy. Yes. You have to have someone that could help. Trey, I'm sure, as Ed said, you play golf. Oh, he's a great golfer. You've gotten help at times, or Um, or maybe you've given help at times to people who want to improve their golf game. If you want to improve your life game, then you need to have people weighing in. And this therapist told us right up front, she said, you will grieve together in the beginning, but then you you will have this tendency to drift. And that's why we knew up front we had to really work on talking about our feelings, talking about our emotions, because this is one of those markers of divorce, the loss of a child. It's an out-of-order death, and it totally, if you if you make the comparison to a boat on an ocean or on a lake— it is the heaviest wind you could endure. It is like a tsunami coming against you when you lose a child before they've seen their potential. And I, I'm Lee Beth was 34 when she passed away, and Ed can share the details of that. But I am thankful we had 34 years. There are many people who may be listening to this yes. podcast, and they've had a stillborn child, and they've had a child struggling with an illness. At, at a very young age, and they don't live to be two or four or six. And it's all tragic. It's all tragic. And then, you know, when you go to the doctor or if you're ever in the hospital, Trey, you, you've you seen that little sign in hospital rooms, you know, what is the level of your pain, you know, one to 10, you know, smiley face being number one and, you know, a face that's freaking out being number 10. And, all people, we all deal with pain. God has given us the capacity to absorb and deal with pain. I mean, just on a visceral level, if you think about, if you think about, we have the pain of hunger, the pain of thirst. I mean, we, without that, we would we would die. And someone actually becomes a follower of Christ. This is interesting. I've just seen this because of pain. We, we have the spiritual pain that, that the, of loneliness that drives us to the Lord. And then you think about the symbol of our faith. I mean, I'm a, obviously a Christian pastor. It's a symbol of pain. And Jesus went through the pain, and three days later, he, he rose again. But notice right before the cross, he said, God, if it's your will— <laughs> let this whole situation pass. So it's important to to understand pain. It's important to understand the mystery of pain. Lisa and I will both tell you 
we still have times, Trey, of doubt, anger, questions, and it's the proverbial, why do bad things happen to good people? I remember when Lee Beth was 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 dying, literally, God, you know, heal her, touch her. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm a pastor and that whole thing, which is full of angst and anxiety and tension. And, and I just can't really explain it, but it's like, it's a parallel track. You have the, you have the track of, of just this hellacious existence, the grief that will never really get over on one track, but the other track is even bigger and broader and that's the supernatural, one-of-a-kind compassion and love that God has surrounded us with. And that's why, even if I was not a pastor, I'm a proponent for, for the church. I'm a proponent for, obviously, wise counsel and, and having people walk with us through, and that's why it's called a path, through pain, through the pain. Uh, your brother, your you have you have two brothers, your your middle brother ben is something of a theologian he has he has oh yeah i think ben trey i think ben's like one of the top i'm sincerely i'm sincere top theologians in the world right now if you had to ask me who the top that really understand it my brother is right up there well he wrote a book on doubt and i loved i i think he thinks i'm kidding when i say that i like the book of habakkuk in the bible i think he just thinks i picked an obscure book that I can barely pronounce. The reality is I do love that book because he sits there and says, God, I have no idea why you did this. That's right. I mean, how in the world could you let wicked people prosper? Good people go through pain. And it tells me Ed and Lisa that it's okay to, like God is big enough for me to be upset with that, yes. that he's not going to like get his feelings hurt. I mean, well said how much I hate the word closure. I hated it in every homicide case because there is no closure when you lose a loved one. Yes. But how do you balance that? You can't wake up every single day saying, God, how in the world could you let this happen? But yet every day or every season, we got Thanksgiving, Christmas coming up. There's going to be a reminder in case you need right. one That's of right. your loss. We heard a phrase yesterday. One of our staff members said, he said, this is the season of the empty seat. And if yes. you think about it, every table that family gathers around, there's going to be some person that's not there because of death. Death is a reality. I mean, everybody dies. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, it's not, not like you can escape it. But just to give a little bit of a backstory into our situation, Lee Beth was just a, a, an achiever. She was first born. She was super talented, super gifted, was a great student, never a partier. She she was actually the biggest rule follower you could ever imagine in high school. She worked on our team here at Fellowship Church, very creative, but also a leader, which is a unique mix. And uh, she did struggle with anxiety and depression at times, but she had two relationships that just, I don't know, they played, they played heavy in her heart. She did, they didn't go where she had thought they would go. Um, she had loneliness because her siblings were married, they were having children, and she was the oldest and still 
no spouse on the horizon and just all of these different things were going on in her life. And she went to alcohol as a medication, self-medicating. She did not drink in public, but she was a, uh, for the most part, but she was a self-medicating binge drinker at home. And we didn't know because she mm-hmm. preferred her work was not compromised. She was still pushing through, but um, there were some years where we did know and helped her with rehab, going through different things. But she mixed alcohol with Adderall. And Adderall is a typical uh, drug that's used for treatment of uh, ADD, ADHD. And we found out that she even had gotten some from the streets. She was not getting a prescription. So she had an episode. Ed went to get her. I was out of town visiting my mother in South Carolina who uh, struggled with dementia. And we realized through, a, uh, I got a pocket call from Lee Beth and I tried to call her back and she didn't answer the phone. She was 34 at the time, lived in her own home. And uh, Ed went over, found her in just a horrible state, took her to the therapist, uh, sobered her up. And then she was in our home that night. Uh, I was trying to figure out how to get back home from South Carolina, but everything seemed to be like we're moving in the right direction. She was sobering up. And, uh, Ed, you take it from here. Yeah, I, you know, that was, um, Trey, looking back over the course of my life, walking up to her home and seeing her in that state, that was one of the most difficult things, you know, that I've ever, I would say the most difficult thing ever. So, again, as Lisa said, we took her to her therapist. She was uh, sobering up, coming off of the high, I guess, of of the mixture of Adderall and alcohol. But she's very anxious. Yeah, very, very anxious. And, and you know, the sun was setting. It, it was, I don't know, maybe 9, 10 o'clock, something like that. And, and it was during COVID. Yeah. So Ed offered to take her to the hospital. She didn't want to go uh, because of having to be alone in the room. And and our and our therapist and, 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 of course, just looking at her, I was thinking, okay, she's, she's just coming off of this high. So we have a little playroom that we made uh, for, for the grandkids, and, and there was a little day bed in there. So I just made a bed for her. I said, Lee Beth, you just sleep here tonight, and I'll be right there in my study because, um, you know, I wanted to obviously stay up. And, and, and uh, so I kissed her, told her I loved her, and went back to my study. So, Dre, I was writing a message of all subjects on Abraham and Isaac. And that's the story. It's a unique story where Abraham actually placed his child on an altar. And I had just written the words, and he laid him on an altar. Boom. I heard this unique sound. I said, Lee Beth, yelled her name, Lee Beth, nothing. And I took about, you know, five steps to run in there and when I saw her, Trey, in essence, she was, she was, she was gone, and uh, that was. Um, I still can't believe it. I still have those images, you know, in my mind that I'll never be able to to get away from. I can just imagine what soldiers have to deal with and, and, and others. So, from there, the EMTs came, and they, 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 they shocked her heart with the paddles. Nothing. And they, they said they, they thought there was a slight pulse, 
So they wouldn't even let me go in the ambulance. It was that they were that strict with the protocol with COVID and everything. So followed them there. And from there, the doctor came out and said, Mr. Young, there's my son was there at the hospital then, but he said, there's, there's nothing we can do. So my son, EJ and I, we, they, they led us back there obviously. And, and, and uh, she was, she was just about to move from this life to the next medically, I guess, clinically. So we all FaceTimed. Lisa was in South Carolina. We have a big family. We all FaceTime and we began to, to just uh, sing worship songs. And we, we sing uh, Chris Tomlin's uh, brilliant song, How Great Is Our God. And we were in that worship mode, singing How Great Is Our God, when Lee Beth uh, breathed her last and when her heart stopped beating. And thankfully, we were able to share that with Chris, whom we have grown to love. And he was kind enough to come by our church this Sunday and and to, to, to lead us in worship in that song. So I, I tell people going through pain, you can't alter it, but you can alter it, L-A-L-T-A-R. And that's where we have to put it, even though we don't understand it, on the altar and, and, and turn our hands, our palms heavenward and say, God, I don't understand this, but you take it. And we just said, Lisa and I soon there, after God, wherever you take this story, if it's with uh, one person or a thousand people, we want to share it. I want to ask you a question about these two paths of pain, because I've watched y'all interviewed before. I mean, your book is brand new, I would say. It's uh, doing very, very well when I checked it this morning. But but I saw an interview where y'all made reference to two different paths, the path of grief and anger and sorrow and what you would expect and then there's this path of trying to find peace in all of it. And I just I, I wonder how often those paths intersect one another. Is it is it really two paths or is it just one path and you have different obstacles to go around? I would say it's parallel tracks. So really it's one path, but at the same time you can feel grief. And yet you have joy. Now, you have to understand what joy is. We define joy as an inner peace. A tranquility, a tranquility of, the soul. Yes. of the soul. It's not happiness. Happiness is based on things going on, your circumstances, happenings. Happiness comes from the from the Latin word hap. Yeah, which, which means chance or whatever. Yeah, By chance, we are experiencing something. So Ed and I are followers of Christ. And I know that some people listen in your audience and maybe they're not uh, Christians. This is from our biblical worldview. When we became Christ followers, we surrendered our lives to Jesus and he occupies our hearts. He's he has our hearts. And so he is that inner joy, that inner tranquility of our soul, that peace that we have. So when you go through something like this and you have insurmountable grief, you have to make yourself aware yes. that his presence has not left. He's standing with you in the midst of this grief. That's how joy and grief can run on parallel tracks. And I equated it this way. 
when I became a Christian at a very young age, I mean, I wasn't some bank robber, a drug dealer or anything. I was like nine years old and maybe stole my friend's pencil out of her pencil case. I don't know. And I started at that time just doing the basic things of Christianity, like reading my Bible and going to church and being involved in our youth group and even Edge, at a young age, taught me about journaling. He's an artist, so he would always doodle in a notebook. And so he would tell me about, you know, journal. And so I did. I started journaling, but basically just spending time with God. So every issue that we've gone through in life, I reflect back on the faithfulness of God in those quiet moments, in those times where I was just doing the basics. And when you go through something horrific, you would be shocked at how those things rise up. It's almost like having a spiritual bank account, if you will. And all of a sudden you hit something that makes you have to draw deep into that account. But at least it's there. It's your safety savings, I guess you will. And that's how Ed and I moved step by step. In those initial days and in the weeks, months to come, Very well it's said. how it's how we could stand on the stage of our the platform of our church and share a very messy story. People knew we we live pretty vulnerable, authentic lives, I would say. And so we had an inner circle of people who knew the struggle that Lee Beth was having, that we were seeking wise counsel from some of our staff members knew, but the church at large did not know. And so we stood on the stage weeks after, like 10 days maybe Mm -hmm. after she passed away, because we wanted, we were not going to allow Satan to, to steal the potential of this pain. We knew God would use it. We didn't know how. We didn't know we were going to write a book at that time. But we knew that this pain would not be uh for loss it would be for gain and, and it's difficult to let that go and you know i have a tendency trey to jump into the pool of regret and swim laps in that pool would have should have could have yet what we've discovered is there's a there's a nail pierced hand that extends to that pool and jesus says okay i want to take you out of that because I have something for you. It's not that I don't still, and Lisa and I don't oh, yeah. jump back now and then, you know, but I, I would say we have to move from why me, which I still sometimes ask to what now, and that sounds easy to say, but it's, it's a, it's a divine yeah. pivot. If you will, Job, the, in the, in the old Testament, in the book of Job, Job, was a faithful man. He was known as a righteous man before God. And he went through hellacious, lost his whole family, lost his home, lost his wealth, lost everything. And you're like, oh my goodness, Job, how in the world did this happen? And you still kept your faith. At the end of the book of Job, Job actually says, and I'm paraphrasing, God, I knew who you were. Now I know more deeply who you are to me and that's where ed and i are Mm -hmm. we still and i tell people i said listen we don't even live day by day sometimes we're living moment by moment reminding ourselves of all of these truths that we've known 
so people people watch i would say ed's preached a lot of messages i've taught a lot of bible studies but people have leaned in and listened more now because it's like okay you you've preached for 32 years here at fellowship church is what are the truths that you spoke applicable today to you with what you're going through and the answer is yes and again trey we've had just um great growth in our church we've had so many people uh give their lives to christ and so many people uh have have um have, have talked about their pain and their issues and that's awesome but that still doesn't take away the 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 pain and the the loss that we have i would trade all that to have Beth back right now, which I think is important to to say that. I would add to, I mentioned it was a messy situation for a, a pastor and their family to be walking through, and we wanted to be truthful about it. I did cling in those initial hours, and I still cling to this, that Lee Beth was fighting a battle that she was not winning. Yes. And God could have given her the strength to do that. It's still sometimes hard for me to hear a a story or a testimony about someone who was an addict and they are clean, sober, 10, 15 years. And I'm like, why could that not have been her story? But she's clean and sober now and in heaven. And we have this hope. And Hebrews 619 says that we have this hope, an anchor for the soul. And the anchor is a symbol for us. It's one of the earliest Christian symbols. Uh, I think it might be the earliest, the anchor. If you look at the catacombs, there's over 66 renderings of anchors. And I think the cross kind of came into, I just say the word vogue a little bit later than that, yeah, as so, far as the symbol of Christianity. So again, I mentioned the, the rough seas that everyone goes through at some point in life, because pain is the great equalizer. There's not a person on the Sorry. planet who's not experienced pain of some sort on some level. But Ed and I have an anchor, a deep anchor in Christ that is our faith. And one of Ed's captains that he fishes with said, the the harder the wind blows, the deeper the anchor goes. And we have found that mm-hmm. to be more than true with our faith. And Trey, I remember one time as a kid, you know, I always liked boats and water and fishing. And we had a little rowboat and I tried to make an anchor out of a clothesline and Clorox bottle. And I, I filled the Clorox bottle full of sand. <laughs> it was a miserable experience because I tied it to our rowboat and I misjudged the depth of the lake and I was just blown all over the place. And I I just have talked to so many people and I've even done this in my life before. I've, I've tried to use anchors made of clotheslines and Clorox bottles as opposed to going, okay, I mean, that's fine and all that, but I need to to rely on the heaviness, the weightiness of of the anchor, Hebrews 619 of our soul, which which is Jesus. And 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 that's just something that I've struggled with. And I know that a lot of us do. You know, what what kind of anchor do you really have? If you're enjoying our conversation, you can find more just like this at foxnewspodcast.com. A path through pain. There is no pain 
I will always believe this, even having never experienced, there is no pain like the pain that you and others have been through with the loss of a child. But Lisa, you made reference to standing in front of your congregation and being very transparent with them about the journey that your family had been on. And while the three of us may sit here and know better, there are lots of parents who feel responsible and guilty mm-hmm. and if I have a child who is unhappy, I must have done something wrong. If I have a child who yes. uh, does not want to continue with their education, I, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I have people very close to me in my own life who, who kind of judge themselves based on whether their children are doing okay or not. And I, there's a temptation to do that, but but and so so how do you break out of that? How, how, how do you say you know I, this this was a disease? It addiction is yes. a disease. Yes, and I learned so much about addiction uh, through reading AA, the AA handbook. I would encourage Brilliant everyone book. to read Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. The first half, the second half are testimonies, but the first half is an unbelievable guide to life. So and all of those principles, as, as, as we all know, come from Scripture. I mean, that's it's they're they're they're, they're biblical principles and they're they're clothed in this AA 12 step. But I learned through that that it is an illness. Now, I mentioned about all the different things that we've gone through over our marriage. One of those was our son was born with a genetic disease called neurofibromatosis. And I had never heard the word. And so back then, as an infant, there was no Internet. I couldn't Google this. I I had to, like, research at the library. What is this? It's where tumors form on nerve endings in the body. And praise the Lord, he is doing really well. Has he had tumors? Yes. Has he had health issues? Yes, but he's doing really well. I looked at that time when we learned about this disease, and the first thing that we did was go, it's a dominant gene. So we're like, okay, did we cause this? What is it? Yeah. How, how did he end up with this disease? And the doctors told us that 50% of patients with NF, neurofibromatosis, start their own gene it was kind of it didn't make the pain of having him dealing with an illness go away but there was some type of relief that we weren't responsible for it to relate that to lee beth and to other kids teenagers adults and she was an adult child this illness was something that she struggled with It came about because of some choices that she made. And then we just were committed to stand alongside her. Now, I will tell you, I talked to the therapist again. I'm so pro therapy, but I talked to the therapist and she said, Lisa, you are going to feel guilty. She gave me permission to deal with that, if you will. But she said, if you don't let go of guilt, it will lead to shame. And shame is like the quicksand that holds you and will make you drown. So I looked at guilt as a snapshot very quickly. Were there things that Ed and I could have done better as parents? Absolutely. Yes. We're imperfect people. Oh All goodness. parents make mistakes. I raised my voice too much or I didn't respond when they needed something quick enough. There were always going to be those things. But 
she she suggested that I look at some family photographs, which wasn't really easy for me to do to go back and look. And I had boxes and I saw snapshots of just silliness mm-hmm. times when we were together on vacation and just all sorts of things. And there were way more positive things that came to my mind than the negative things. So we have to be discerning and know that as parents, we have a responsibility for our children's needs, but we cannot be responsible for all of their personal choices. We guide them. Now, I'm a huge, huge (laughs) advocator of parents intervening in their children's lives when they're under roof. By that, I mean, so many parents want to try to be their kid's best friend. God didn't make me my kid's friend. He made me their parent, their caregiver. I was discerning on what they watched on television. I I discerned that they could not walk down a public street by themselves for fear of stepping off a curb. I held their hand. Monitoring friendships. Monitoring friendships and relationships. That was my responsibility as a parent. And so I, I don't buy into it all that we need to let our children figure things out so much on their own. We have a responsibility to guide and protect. At the zoo, I listened <laughs> to the sign that I saw on the lion's den. I did not let them climb on the fence. I did not let them stick their hand over. That's just smart. And so the same thing applied at our yeah, applies then, for but, our but parenting. then once they leave, though, they're on their own, you know. And we we, we still coach and help yeah, if coach, they ask questions. And... We coach, but there is this sweet. <laughs> there's a sweet side to watching them oh, yeah. do what they want to do, uh-huh. and then you look and they they come back to you and say, "Wow, that didn't work out so well." You we're smart, mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that I actually, get it now. Actually, Lee Beth went to Baylor. Uh, for two and a half years. And she called us and she goes, Mom, I know I gave you lots of grief because she was like the the poster child for well-behaved kid everywhere. But if mm-hmm. she ever gave grief, it was to me as the mom. And so we would butt heads, of course. But she called and she said, Mom, you were so right about so many things. And I just wanted to do a hallelujah dance around the neighborhood. <laughs> Because she was getting it, yes. you know, but I hope that answers the question. Yeah, we, we, we get a lot smarter as our kids get older. Um, and, and, <laughs> and my parents, you know, my mom sounds a lot like you, Lisa. She wanted to run every facet of my life, including I remember at one point trying to pick out who I was going to marry. I think I was 14 <laughs> at the time. I said, Mom, if it's not Woo. Terry Dillard or Halle Berry, I, I ain't following that list. <laughs> <laughs> it wound up being Terry Dillard. Yeah. Uh, here, I got one more question for for each of you. And Ed, this is going this is going to be a hard one, but probably not as hard as the one I asked Lisa. Your brother wrote a book on doubt. Yes, you've written multiple books on marriage and everything else. This one's on pain. So I'm sitting here thinking, all right, Lisa may or may not have stolen someone's pencil. She can't remember when she was in. No, elementary school. that's the truth. Okay, so may or may not. You have been a minister of the gospel for your entire life, your entire adult life. Uh So are there those moments when you say, come on, God, I mean, I I did everything. Yes. You could have possibly wanted me to do. Yes. I have shared your 
story with people who didn't want to hear it. I have sacrificed. Mm -hmm. Could you not? Could you not have intervened? Could you not just this one time have helped me? Yes. Are there ever moments where you just it's almost like a righteous anger? Yes, I, I definitely have had those thoughts. I've struggled with that, have have said that to God. I mean, God, why? I mean, you you're sovereign. You could you could change um, how someone gets cancer. You could change uh, the way someone's driving. You could delay their 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 car two or three seconds and keep them from being you know killed by by a drunk driver. Uh, why the turmoil and unrest? Yes, yes. I am a Trey. You're you're brilliant at asking questions. By the way, I love to ask questions. So I would. I would tend to to ask those questions a lot, and I can ask them a little bit, a little bit too much. But what I've had to discover is, at the end of the day, it's like uh, the Book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will keep your path straight. All right. I have to acknowledge, I have to understand that I don't understand, and that's difficult for me. And sometimes we think, okay, God owes me an explanation. Well, if God did tell me about this situation, all the what's and the why's in the house, I don't think I have the bandwidth as part of God's creation to even comprehend the what's and the why's in the house. That's difficult for me. It's a struggle for me. That's why I have to alter that to say, God, I trust you. And I believe that you're using it for ultimate good. Although I don't always see it, you know, but I have to believe that. And that's where that trust part comes in. The word trust means to lie helplessly before God. It's like, it's like a defeated soldier at the feet of a victorious general. I don't understand it. I submit my life to you, and I'm going to go with what with what you put before me. And that's also, in a positive way, the adventure and the fun and the and and just the life that God has, the abundant life. But on the other hand. If you get caught in the river of remorse, man, it can it can it can take you down. So I don't know if I answered the question, but I also too, Trey, doubt and faith are together. I don't have certainty. Am I certain? No. I don't have certainty. And too many times I think we've preached certainty. There's no certainty. Certainty? No. It's it's faith, it's trust. Yet there are explanations. The Bible does explain things, but not everything. The Bible is more of a book of promises and more like, okay, this is going to happen. Here's maybe a little bit of an answer, but you've got to go and move on with it. Because if, if you had certainty, as I said earlier, there would be no faith and we would be you know, robots. So God has given us, Trey, this free will, which who knows how that even reconciles with God's sovereignty. No one does, really. But God's given us this free will, this freedom of choice, and that's what gives us 
meaning and purpose too. Because if we didn't have it, again, we're robots. I've said a thousand times it takes a lot of faith to have doubt. So they go hand in hand. I I told your brother it takes a lot of faith to write a book about doubt. Yes, it does. All right, Lisa, I got to ask you this. You you are still a mother. You're still a grandmother. How do you help? Sibling pain may be different from parental pain, but it's still pain. So you have children and grandchildren that are going through their own path of pain. How do you help them while you're also aware of the fact that, look, this was this was my child. It may have been your sibling or your friend, but this was my child. We have a, a very close family, I would say, in that we hang out together. We talk regularly. Lee Beth was... It's it's interesting, Trey. She struggled with the anxiety, depression, and addiction in the latter years. So there was a little bit of pushback from the siblings on understanding addiction. And Ed and I tried to guide them through how they could process their expectations of Lee Beth. So when she passed away, all of us had grief we missed the healthy Beth, but we were also dealing with a relief if you will that this complication was somewhat solved and i know that that's a hard concept to understand but each of the children have grieved in their own way landra was probably she's a twin landra and laurie are twins and they're our youngest they landra probably grieved more outwardly than ej and laurie maybe just by personality but landra was extremely close to lee beth they were a lot alike uh, uh, in many ways laurie grieved more about the lee beth that she knew to be healthy but she had a hard time with the lee beth that was an addict and i did too until i got the view of the illness side of this. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time as well during her time in rehab, during just those times where she lived with us so that we could keep an eye on her. But what I've learned, and this is just what anybody who's going through pain needs, they need somebody to stand with them. You don't, you're not going to have the accurate words. People, no. people didn't know what to say to Ed. There's and nothing I. to say. There's nothing. Really? I mean, people would say, I don't know how you can manage this. I, I just can't imagine how you can mm-hmm. e- you can't even prepare for something like this. And those are all fine. But their presence was what ministered to us. The church just standing with us, individuals. And, you know, in the South, Trey, if somebody dies or somebody gets sick, you're going to get a casserole. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we got casseroles. Oh, we yeah. got pots of soup. And it meant the world to us. I learned that being present, being available, doing something when you don't know what to do, like the casserole or the soup, and it's just talking. We talk about Lee Beth like she was here yesterday. We talk about the fun times. We don't dwell so much on the hard times. We talk about her humor, her skills that she was so gifted. We're going to dinner tomorrow night for our son's birthday 
We will talk about Lee Beth. On her birthday, we get together and we celebrate at a restaurant and keeping her memory alive, but not just her memory, the good memories alive. And I think that is how you manage with everyone dealing with grief. You know, you both have made reference to to Job. Um, I don't know the Bible like y'all do, um, but what I do recall about it is lots of people came to Job and tried to offer insights and wisdoms. And right. the, the group that ministered to him the most never said a word. Yep. Mm-hmm. They just sat with him right. I think for days. Yes. Yep. And never said a word. So for those kind of wondering, how do you minister to somebody who is going through pain? Yes. Sometimes it's just simply being present yep. and not even saying a word. And if 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 we can't figure out how we feel, how is somebody else going to figure it out? They're not going to know what to say, but they're there. And you're 100 percent right. But I always go back to the end of the book of Job, that Job knew God better because of the pain. And Ed and I both feel like we know God better and more deeply Mm -hmm because of our pain. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the book is a path through pain. It is available uh, everywhere. The books are sold for folks that want to follow you. How how do they, you know, I'm not on social media. That stuff scares (laughs) me. I I can't get my daughter to show me how to sign up for any of it, but how do people follow y'all? Y'all are younger and hipper. I'm worried now, Trey, because I took a picture of you and Ed talking about professional wrestling and I, I tagged somebody on Instagram. So I don't know if you're on there or not, but there's somebody imposing you. Uh, Oh, we're on, but Trey, we're on, um, uh, X we're on, uh, Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube. I think you're YouTube. Ed, Ed, dot, Ed underscore Young on Facebook, and I'm Lisa Young FC on, on Instagram. Instagram. Instagram, yes. So I'm Ed, really active on Instagram. What is that? Ed <laughs> yeah. underscore yeah. Young. But we're okay. very active. We post things from a lot. church, or we post fun things from family. And I hope if people will go on and see our platforms, they'll see a family that's having... Um, a great time and doing things in spite of some of the things we've been through. Well, uh, it is my fervent prayer that as few people suffer the loss of a child as can possibly be, but there's going to be pain no matter what. That's right. It doesn't matter. Your children, you can have a dozen children and they all live to be a hundred and they're still going to be pain. Yes. Yes. So, A Path Through Pain is the book. Pastor Ed, Pastor Lisa Young, love talking with you all. Uh, Part of me is sorry about the topic, but part of me also realizes it is inevitable. Yes. Um, Pain in some way will manifest itself in all of our lives. Thank you, Trey, for having us. Thank you all. And we will see you all next week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.